Why is seminary so expensive? At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we are committed to the reform of theological education toward meeting the needs of churches across the globe. Men of God cannot serve their churches well if they are burdened with tens of thousands of dollars in student loans from seminary. At CBTS, you can receive a robust theological education for nearly four times less than other institutions. To find out more about how you can receive an accredited theological degree at a cost that you can afford, visit cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Anne Steele was born to William and Anne Steele during the second week of May, 1717. She joined an older brother, William, in their ancestral home called Grandfathers. A few years later, another brother was born, Thomas, but this was to be a time of grief, not joy, because Mother Anne died of childbirth complications, and Thomas followed her to the grave a few weeks later. It is likely that Father William's sister Mary cared for the children for the next few years before William remarried. All this means that daughter Anne probably had no recollection of her mother. But Anne's new mother, whose name was also Anne, was a Christian woman from a nearby particular Baptist family. It is clear from letters and diaries that she deeply cared for the children and had a special bond with her six-year-old stepdaughter. As a child, Anne was called Nanny, and soon she had a new sister, Mary, who went by Molly. Her stepmother was educated and may have taught Anne at home, but at the age of 12, Anne was sent to Trowbridge for further education, probably at a particular Baptist school for girls. She did her academic studies during the day and learned sewing in the evenings. She lived with relatives and attended the large particular Baptist church in town. Membership was over 200, with an attendance of 600. And it reminds us that Anne's life was lovingly hemmed all around with particular Baptist extended family, friends, school, and church. As she entered her teen years, Anne fell victim to several common health troubles, such as the measles, and a form of malaria that would plague her for the rest of her life. This chronic condition led to anemia, general weakness, and a tendency to other infections. This meant she missed worship on many Sundays. But it also led her stepmother to speak with her directly about the concerns of her soul. Anne responded with a recognition of her need of a Savior, and Mrs. Steele wrote of her hope that God had begun to work in all of their children's souls. Her brother William, now aged about 17, went to see his uncle Henry, who you may recall was also his pastor, in order to tell him of his spiritual convictions and claim to conversion. 
The pastor was satisfied with William's testimony, and so he gave it to the church. They voted to receive William, and the following Thursday, June 8, 1732, William was baptized, joined the church, and was now qualified to take communion. During this time of illness and her brother's confession of faith in baptism, Anne was reflecting on what at the time they called, quote, giving in her experience. We would say giving your testimony today. But with her stepmother's help, Anne also went to see Uncle Henry. They concluded that God had been good to her in salvation, and so Anne was also approved for baptism. And on Sunday, July 9, she was immersed into Christ, the church, and communion at the age of 15. Between continuing bouts of illness, Anne's parents decided to send her to a boarding school, almost certainly Anglican, in the nearby town of Salisbury. They did worry about sinful influences, but knew that Anne had unusual abilities that needed to be tended to. And they had financially prospered so they could afford to do this. So when Anne was 16, she and her younger sister Mary, that is Molly, were sent, but only for about six months. Her time at this finishing school was finished, perhaps because of a combination of health problems and concern for her spiritual well-being. It's known, for example, that her pastor, Uncle Henry, did not approve of this school choice. In this same year, 1733, when Anne was 16, is also the first record of hymns being written in the home. The first one we know of was by her father, who clearly had poetic skills. Her brother William is also known to have composed hymns about this time. These were poems based on a scripture text and then sung to an already known tune. It was during this period that particular Baptists began to widely sing in worship. You may recall that men like Benjamin Keach and Hercules Collins had argued for and practiced singing in church during the late 1600s, but they were very much in the minority. As time went on, and Isaac Watts's psalms and hymns were printed and readily available, this all changed. The Baptist church in Broughton sang Watts, and he clearly influenced Anne's later poetic productions. An unusual item has survived in the Steele family from this time. It is a handwritten tune book containing, quote, about 40 tunes arranged for part singing in the order alto, tenor, soprano, bass. The index recommends tunes for specific psalms and hymns, and it's divided up to precisely match Watts's Psalms and Hymns book. This tells us much about the family's habits at home and in public worship, and also their wealth, education, and status, too. Anne did experience the standard trials of the day. Her malaria left her ill for months at a time. Her younger sister was also sick with it, and this occasioned frequent fights between the two. It exasperated their mother, and her father was often away on business or preaching. But being the daughter of one pastor and the niece of the other brought spiritual opportunities. When visiting ministers came for associational meetings or to preach at the church, they would stay with the Steeles. 
Anne surely met some of them, including Bernard Foskett, pastor of the Bristol Broadmead Congregation, as well as other particular Baptist ministers. Later, these men would play a role in seeing Anne's hymns put both to use and into print. Death often seemed very near in these times, as in most of human history. Accidents and illness were common and often led to sad ends. You may recall the account from last time about Anne's father being thrown from his horse. Equestrian and carriage accidents were very common and are frequently recorded in the diaries of the Steele family. But if you have heard any story related to Anne Steele, it is probably one that involved a man named James Elkham. As the story is usually told, James was engaged to marry Anne, and the day before their wedding, he went into the river Avon to bathe, but was drowned. The story is usually told with his dying shrieks being heard in the local village of Ringwood. But is this story historically accurate? Well, it doesn't appear to be. It seems more like the melodramatic production of the 19th century Baptist historian and pastor Joseph Ivamy. although to be fair to him, it is likely he was just writing what he heard. But as J.R. Broom reports, a letter written about this incident has surfaced in recent years, and the facts seem to be more like this. James Elkham was acquainted with, and perhaps even pursuing Anne, who may have returned his affections. How far their relationship had gone is unknown, but there isn't any evidence that an engagement or a marriage contract had been finalized. Now, for those with money at the time, like the Steeles, these were a necessity and often took weeks or months to finalize. But there are hints in diaries and schedules of visits between friends from Ringwood, where James lived, and the Steele home. Perhaps there was a budding attempt at a marriage partnership. The letter I mentioned earlier was written the very evening of Elkham's death by a lawyer familiar with both families. He relates that, quote, our dear friend Mr. Elkham was unfortunately drowned in the river in washing himself. Where he went in was shallow, but going a little too far, the rapidity of the current drew him out of his depth where he finished his life. He had only one person with him who could not swim and who dared not venture to assist him. He continues that he didn't know, quote, how far he, that is James Elkham, may have prevailed on the affections of Miss Steele. So the man tragically died, but it was not the day before the wedding, and one may have only been a hope or a wish. There does seem to have been some feelings for each other between the two, or the lawyer would not have written as he did. This took place when Anne was 20, certainly an age when she could have married, and the death of this friend, like many others, played a part in training her to submit to God's providences. Her hymns regularly include the theme of resignation to the will of God. One of her better-known ones includes the following verse. Give me a calm, a thankful heart, from every murmur free. The blessings of thy grace impart, and let me live to thee. This came from the soul of a true disciple of Christ, willing to bear the crosses God ordained. 
I'll continue her story next time. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.